calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week, everyone matters or no one matters. It's episode 417 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. If you're a fan of Bosch, then you know exactly what I'm talking about there. And guess what? Bosch Legacy premieres on Amazon Freebie. It is now streaming on that new stream, free streaming service from Amazon. And I was so lucky to get such a good amount of time with the casting of my Titus Welliver, Mimi Rogers, and Madison Lentz to talk about the show and really dive in to this continuation of the Bosch story, which was which is really, really great. I also got to talk to brand new author A.F. Stedman about her book, Skandar and the Unicorn Thief. She's being called the next J.K. Rowling. And this story is one that I really want to make sure that you've got on your radar. My Doctor Strange review is going to be next week because I want to be able to talk about spoilers. I want to give you enough time. But definitely going to talk about the Moon Knight finale this week. Going to dive into Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Constantine the House of Mystery, and the new Batman scripted podcast, Batman Unburied, that's on Spotify. So it sounds like we've got a lot to do. So let's get moving. My interview with the cast of Bosch Legacy is next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Joe Henderson, showrunner for Lucifer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Just because the show reaches its finale does not mean that its story is not going to continue. Bosch is back this time with Bosch Legacy, which is now streaming on Amazon Freebie. And I got to have a really long conversation with Titus Welliver, of course, who plays who plays Harry Bosch. We've got Mimi Rogers, who plays Honey Chandler. And we also have Madison Lentz, who plays Maddie Bosch. And I got a chance to talk to them, not just about this upcoming spinoff, but, you know, diving really deep into their characters. Hear that whole conversation right now. Pretty well. Good. How are you? How you doing? Very good, very good. Thank you so much for taking the time. It really feels like to me that Bosch Legacy is kind of equal parts a continuation of the story in the beginning of another for all of you, really. So this is kind of out to all of you. At the time, did it kind of feel like 
what happened with Carl Rogers could be the catalyst for a fresh start for all of you? Good question. I think you're spot on because it affected all of us in a very intense and dramatic fashion. Obviously, I almost get killed. He attempts to kill Maddie. That's his daughter and somebody else that Bosch cares about and is very closely involved with. So all three of us come out of that experience. Carl Rogers is certainly a common thread that connects us all. And I know for Chandler, this overwhelming need for justice and to try to bring him to justice and the absolute despair and frustration about not being able to bring him to justice. And I think that also affects all three of us. And in terms of my recovery from the near-death experience, the pivot into a more civil rights-oriented career trajectory makes sense. Particularly, I mean, she's not cured. She's not like A-OK. It's all very much simmering under the surface and it leaks out. You see that she's not quite stable. But the overwhelming need to pursue and try to obtain justice is dictating her career path as well. No doubt about that. Titus, I want to talk to you about Harry kind of being able to play by his own rules a little bit more. Do you feel like we'll see a different Harry at all in Bosch Legacy or will we see more of him as his true self now, you think? Now that he's no longer in the department, he's, he's more isolated than ever. And so he's really operating on his own and he doesn't have the tools that he had when he was with the department in, in the pursuit of these, these cases that he's working on. But we also find him sort of idle for lack of a better word. He's just been doing these sort of, you know, background checks and divorce cases and things, but it's not like his, his workload is overwhelming him or anything. And, and then enter, you know, Whitney Vance and he, you know, of course, has a sense of mistrust because why come to him? He's this sort of newly minted, you know, private eye. And it, it doesn't, there's something wrong with it. And as things unfold and he's becomes, uh, you know, conscious of the magnitude of what he's dealing with, it gets, it gets very, very serious for him. But I think part of what is interesting is that by putting him out there and making him vulnerable without the protections of certain laws and certainly the, the police department, he becomes a bit more formidable and, uh, and I, I say uh, a bit more feral than usual. Hmm. I think that's a pretty good way to describe it, actually. Madison, for you, obviously we see Maddie get, getting to join the LAPD. She wanted to make a difference. We found that out in the final season of Bosch. What, do you, what would you say is her biggest struggle early on in the job? Mm, I think there's a couple of things. The most prominent one being, um, and, and her TO actually says this, she's a boot, but she's also a little salty, which is sort of a trendy word, but it, it means she thinks she knows a lot and she thinks that she is experienced. And, and the fact of the matter is you just can't be until you, you lived it. So I think she's getting a couple of reality checks this season that that are not humorous necessarily to watch, but she's definitely getting a run for her money. So I think that's one of her challenges. I think another one is her her father left behind a legacy, if you will, um, at the LAPD. And I think she's really struggling to make her own name and also fill the shoes that he left behind and wants to make him proud, but doesn't want to live in his shadow. And again, 
biggest struggle overarching generally is the pursuit of justice, which is always complicated if you're a Bosch. So. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I really like the relationship between the three of your characters, actually. I always have about the show because, you know, obviously Bosch and Chandler have never really gotten along. Maddie has sort of a mentor-protege relationship there. And, of course, she loves her dad, and they get along really well. How do you feel like that relationship, this for any of the three of you or a combination of, how do you feel like that relationship between the three of you together has progressed as we head in to Bosch Legacy? Well, we, we kind of think of ourselves as this odd, dysfunctional family. <laughs> Because I think Honey has a very parental feelings toward Maddie. Mm -hmm. And I think for Maddie, particularly having lost her mother, having a strong woman to be close to and to look up to is really important. Harry is obviously her father. And the great thing about Bosch and Chandler is that they've had kind of every different kind of relationship. They've been opposing. They've been together. He's come to her for help. She's come to him for help. It's always prickly, but I, I think deep down inside at their essence, they're very similar people. And I think that's probably the reason that they bang heads so badly, but also the reason that they, they are connected and work well together. And I think underneath everything, they both have tremendous respect for one another and care for one another. People always say, well, are they ever going to get together? And I always say it would be like brother and sister. It would be weird. It would just be wrong. Well, that's be, not. Yeah, it would be contrived too, I think. And that's the thing. And we, I think we've also, as actors, have always tried to sort of play against the page mm. and any kind of, and avoided any of that kind of subtext because at the end of the day, like Mimi said, there is a, there is a mutual respect and their their similarities are such that they kind of polarize each other in that way. And yet, when they come to a meeting of the minds, they're a very effective team together. And we find that um, happening in Legacy. But there's still, and they've kind of, Harry's let go of his grudge about what she had to bring up on the stand in, in the, the initial civil case. That's That's in the past, I think. What it is more than anything is that Harry not wanting to go and work for what they call the dark side, but also he realizes that he can't really pull that card anymore with her saying, yeah, you're a little bit reckless because she's they've called each other out on that. So now it really becomes about, all right, the, 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 the common thread here is Carl Rogers and how are we going to facilitate making sure justice. that this guy is brought to justice? And, you know, that's a large part of, of the season. Also, Madison, I want to go back to something you said about, about, you know, how Maddie's a legacy and she's trying to carry that out. But at the same time, how much is she her father's daughter, you think? And, and Titus, for you, how much do you feel like Harry maybe wants her to be better in a sense than he ever was? Because he just wants what's best for her, too. Yeah, no, something that we've talked about, and I think that they have an unspoken kind of understanding. Harry is wanting to give her as much room to breathe and to find her own way. But he also understands the pitfalls and certainly more than understands the dangers of the job, but he's respecting their relationship. And he's, he's trying to evolve as a father, recognizing that his child is no longer a child, but is now an adult. And so 
he tends to not be passive, but just not be overbearing. And by the same token, Maddie has is stuck in the position of needing his counsel, mm. but trying to find a way to seek his counsel without alarming him. Mm. And they do come to a kind of agreement because at one point they can't get a hold of each other and they sort of have a big sit down where they they expose <laughs> themselves and say, hey, when I can't get a hold of you, it frightens me. And, you know, even though he's a private eye, she, knowing his, the way that he operates, she says, well, it's, it's the same for me. So they're doing that kind of a dance and he wants her to be independent Mm -hmm. because he realizes that he's cast a long shadow Mm -hmm. and he doesn't want her to be stigmatized by being his daughter. Mm -hmm. And, And he doesn't, and he realizes, like he always says, several seasons ago, he said, you know, as your father, I want to get in front of everything for you, mm. but I can't. And the world is not your friend. And now more than ever, he's having to contradict himself in his own conduct. But that gives us interesting stuff to play. Yeah, I think she is her father's daughter through and through. And that's one of the things that I love about her and her stubbornness and her drive and how decisive she is. But I think she sort of views justice differently than he does. I think that's what makes the show so special. And I think mainly that's because she still trusts in the system a little bit more than he does. And I think to a point, Harry sort of understands that that's just sort of a journey that I need to go on myself, sort of learning what the system is and what it means to be a cop and the good, bad, and the ugly of all of it. And so I think that's really where they they differ the most. But at the end of the day, she is she does as she pleases. Oh yeah, that's a hard habit to break for sure. Oh, and isn't yeah. that a father daughter? That's a father daughter thing anyway. Oh yeah. So that that's for sure. She's a boss. Mm-hmm. Mimi, I want to talk about kind of the evolution of, of Chandler a little bit. She's always been very strong, very confident. Obviously, you can't go what she's gone through though without having a little bit of change. So, do you think maybe she's? I don't want to necessarily say softened up a bit, but maybe she's strong and confident more in a different way now, you say, as she transitions into kind of a different role in her career. Well, you, you've seen the first few episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she's damaged. And it was very important to me to portray the kind of post-traumatic syndrome or situation in a way that was realistic and showed how significant the aftershocks and after effects are. The physical recovery alone would have been extremely lengthy and strenuous and painful. I I made an intentional point to lose weight and be a little bit sort of shrunken physically as a way of manifesting that there's a level of physical fragility. And then in terms of the emotional and psychic damage, I think what I've tried to portray and I think what you see is that it's instilled in me a very deep and almost pathological rage that you never kind of know when these little bursts are going to come out. She's not totally stable. And I think that lends a very interesting element to her character because we're used to Chandler being Chandler, right? And she's still Chandler and she's still capable and intelligent and strong, but she's damaged and she's still recovering from all of this. So I think you see the emotional instability 
And then the career pivot also kind of follows a, a logical through line in that she has a desperate need for justice for herself regarding the whole Carl Rogers of everything. But in terms of her work, like right now, pursuing a more civil rights oriented, justice oriented line of work is the only thing, like in terms of being able to bring justice even to other people, it's a way of healing. It's a way of finding some solace. So there's been just massive kind of directional changes in what's going on. Absolutely. So it wasn't too long after the the filming of the final season that you guys kind of jumped in to the filming of Bosch Legacy. Did, as actors, did was there a different feel on the set this time because it's it's somewhat of a different show, but it's not a different show at the same time. But are you guys or are you guys just so honed in on these characters that it was more like business as usual for you all? Well, we had a lot. We we did have some changes. I mean, we had uh, a lot of new crew. Mm-hmm. New cast, new cast, Mm -hmm. two new cinematographers, a new composer. There were a lot of changes that were made. So there, you know, when you've been with a cast and crew, you become like a family. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, that was seven years of that. So there definitely was a little bit of feeling like the new kid at school, trying to get to know everyone still, you know, in uh, filming uh, with, with COVID and and dealing with all those protocols which uh makes you know the shooting process a a bit more arduous than usual you know i think we we definitely felt that we were doing i mean we we know our characters obviously so that part i'll I'll speak only for myself that part of it was just like slipping on harry's moccasins Mm -hmm. but the circumstances in which the characters are now living in were were different so yeah there 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 were differences as far as the way that we shoot the show it's nothing has ultimately changed in that regard but yeah we had we had uh, we had a bunch of new kids in our yeah. class you know it was kind of like you've been living in a house for a long time and then you move out because there's going to be a remodel and there's this massive remodel and then you move back in yeah and it's home, but it's you different. can't find anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's home, but it's different. Yeah. And there's new people living there with you. And so it's an odd combination of feeling like home. And you know, certainly like being with Maddie and being right. with Titus, you feel like you're home. And then, you know, it's getting to know my new boss, your new guy, my office is gone, I'm mm. in a new place. So Interesting, like a lot to adjust to, but with the benefit of still being at home. That makes yeah, sense. So did you all have a favorite episode this season or one that you really think that are just going to blow fans? No spoilers, of course, but that are just going to blow Bosch fans away. No, several. That's kind of, yeah, there, there were several. And it wasn't that way because the characters were all in different places. That newness of it we would get the. I mean we all knew basically where we were going from point a to point z but the process of going there is the scripts were coming mm. and seeing the specific scenes and and what was on how it was unfolding that was there's going to be a few episodes where for fans of the show it's like yeah. wow yeah. can't believe that just happened yeah i think yeah. It's, it's less so episodes for me as it is moments yeah there's moments 
throughout the the season that I'm I'm very excited. I don't know if I could boil it down to one episode. However, the first episode, I think, just kind of how it starts, it's very cool. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I agree I, with that. I I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. and, I, and I totally that was a great way to start things yeah, off. I think so too. <laughs> well, and also the, the you know, and I think this is something that the writers have always done a great job. Everything that is happening in real time, the way that it culminates into the ninth and 10th episodes, I think it, we really hit it out of, the, out of the park in that way. And it wasn't just that thing of saying, well, we have to do better because I think we've always, from, from the pilot, mm-hmm. we've, we've always strived to make the show better, the stay yes. away from tropes, no, don't wanna be contrived in any way. And yet we were dealing with with the familiarity of characters in a universe that had already been created, but with a lot of new information, new characters, and and also new attitudes about things because the characters have have evolved. And so, yeah, I can't narrow it down either to one specific episode, but there there are there are going to be a lot of mind blowing yeah moments. It seems heavy-handed to say they're all great, but I do think that they're all great. That's just my perspective. But well, that's but yeah, what I, I heartily agree with. Right? You. See, yeah, I can't imagine you would disagree too. with that. <laughs> I'm curious to get you guys' perspective on this too, because I feel like everybody's got their own little piece of this where it's it's very difficult for them, and that's just Bosch in general. But who would you say has the most difficult road from start to finish this season? I mean, I don't think Honey has it great this season honey honey has a pretty rough road yeah she's got i mean yeah yeah physically and mentally psychically she she has it is really really broken Mm. and and watching someone try to self-repair who has an ego and who who has been this resilient character trying to come back from that kind of a trauma I was kind of jealous because Mimi had some really great stuff to do. <laughs> I just got more tattoos. I didn't lose 10 pounds. But, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, there's definitely, I mean, that Mimi had the heavy lifting to do with that aspect. I mean, as an actor, it's a gift because there was just so much to delve into. And, and in a sense, you want to honor the situation, you know, there is no easy comeback. It's wrong for people to think that, oh, you get shot and you almost die and then you're better and then you're fine. That's not life. Mm. This shit breaks you. Mm. Sorry if I can say that or not. And the she ro- said shit. <laughs> Cut. Let's just stop. <laughs> we're just, we're just end it here. Just and as you can see, the road back is very difficult. We're not on Nickelodeon. Okay. No, we're not on Nickelodeon at all. No, we're not. No, we're on Freebie TV. Is what we're going to be. Downing Nerdy Podcast. That's right. That's what we're on. That's right. And all bets are off here, Mimi. You can do whatever you need to. Let it fly. Gosh, darn it. Yeah. Um, Dagnabbit. Dagnabbit. But yeah, look, I'll be honest. As an actor, even going where you have to go to portray that. Like there was parts of these this season that were not fun for me, Mm-mm. like at all, Mm-mm. because you can't sort of just fake that level of pain. But it was also, I thought, a real amazing acting opportunity and also an opportunity to really show there there is no easy answer to the aftermath of violence. You don't just get over it. Things don't just move on like you're really messed up so you see her fighting really 
you see her fighting her way through. My analogy would be she's gone from being a roll of brawny paper towels to rice paper. Ooh. It's kind of like a haiku, isn't yeah, it? Like that's that. that's close. That's very close. And okay. I, and I just I got the visual with the whole spills Beautiful. and everything. I, I just almost translucent, but so easily torn. Yeah. Well, see. Wow. Now wow. That wow. is the that is the deepest paper towel analogy I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. Them in the that's for sure. Room. That's that's one for the books right there. That's that's excellent. I love it. I love and it. I, ha- I do have to say one thing because <laughs> our writers and producers are like so amazing. I, I was very opinionated and very strong minded about not portraying anything of her after effects in any kind of a cliched way. I didn't want to see the tropes or the cliches of the pills and the drinking and the and I had a lot of ideas and they were receptive to everything and really incorporated a lot of it. So I'm very happy and very proud about that. And you should be because it's an amazing season. I wish you guys could play these characters forever, but I can tell you right now, I'm really happy that we got Bosch Legacy, which we'll see premiere on May the 6th on Freebie TV. Can't, you guys are going to love it when you see it. Titus, Madison, Mimi, thank you so much for all the time today. I appreciate you. Thank, thank you. you. And I realized that was a long conversation, but I mean, what do you want me to cut out? There, right? There was so much in depth analysis of these characters, and you realize just how deep this season of Bosch Legacy is going to run. And this is not just going to be your typical spinoff. This thing feels so fresh, and they said it themselves that, yeah, it feels like you're home, but you're not home. And as a fan, I think that's how you're going to feel as well. You are definitely going to want to binge the hell out of Bosch Legacy on Amazon Freebie. Make sure you're watching. Set aside some time this weekend to do that because I really think once you get going, you're going to want to stay watching this thing through to the end. Again, thanks to Titus Welliver, Mimi Rogers, and Madison Lentz for joining me to talk about Bosch Legacy. Up next, it's time to jump in to some reviews. I'll start with Marvel's Moon Knight, the season finale. We'll talk about that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The Battle of Gods and Avatars comes to a head in the season finale or series finale. You be the judge of Marvel's Moon Knight from Disney+. Plus. Gonna go spoiler-filled on this one since it's already dropped. It's been a couple of days. This is your warning if you haven't had a chance to see it yet. Gonna be talking spoilers in this review. And I'm not gonna try and dumb it down for you and act like you haven't been watching the last five episodes. If you got this far, you friggin' know what's been happening. So let's just dive right in. 
to this, shall we? So, honestly, I've got some mixed feelings about how this finale went down. I don't feel like they rushed it. I do feel like they were kind of able to wrap it up the the, the proper way. But th- there are a few things that I thought were a little messy. I mean, obviously, you've got Steven. He's in the sand. You think you think he's gone. You know he's not really going to be gone, though. You know he's going to be brought back to life. So that there wasn't really a whole lot of worry for me there. Also, Mark being in the field of reeds, it was one of those things where you go, okay, you've tried to build him up as, as selfish and, you know, very self-serving and things like that up to this point. And then, of course, he makes that big hero moment. He's like, nah, I'm going to go save Steven, and I don't want to do this, and I can't leave Layla out there, and I can't let Harrow summon Amit and, and all these other things. Okay, but, but again, that wasn't a really huge surprise. What I did really enjoy, though, was it feels like we've been building to this kinship between Steven and Mark, and I think we finally got the pinnacle of that in this sixth episode, especially once they meet up with Khonshu again. Of course, you know, Layla busts Khonshu out to, to, to help combat Ahmet, and they really both kind of stand up to Khonshu, like, you know, like, kind of, screw you, buddy, if you want one of us, you're getting both of us sort of thing. And really, as things played out in in that final battle with with Haro and 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 of course with Ahmet, that that really that combination was very very important. And not to mention, speaking of important, Layla, my goodness, with the, she had a huge huge sixth episode. We got to see her suit up in this episode. She became the temporary avatar for Tarret, and then she also became a hero. Of her own, and Marvel likes to throw in the moments they've they've been doing this lately, where there was a kid that says, "Are you an Egyptian superhero?" And she says, "I am," which was a really really cool moment. But I will say that Marvel.com actually confirmed after the fact that Layla becomes the Scarlet Scare. But I know what you're thinking. You're like, if "That's a deep dive character." First of all, so if you know that character, bravo. But that character was a villain in the comics. So, again, this is not the first time that Marvel's kind of flipped the script when they want to for things like this. But this is a much cooler version of this character than I could ever remember from the comics. I mean, the the, the wings are really cool. You know, just her abilities in general and her, her, her combat skills were already pretty good anyway. And now you throw the suit into the mix and that really, really made it to another level. It got to the point where, you know... I already really enjoyed Layla as a character and I you know I thought she was tough. I thought she was caring. I thought that she just wanted to she always tried her best to put Mark on the best path. And you know how could you not you know really really love Steven and I and I think that she absolutely did. She loved them both in their own way. And you well you saw how she felt about Mark when Mark had shot and she thinks he's dead too. So th- there's also that. But Giving her this the big hero moment in this episode, I thought was really really great. She's also the one that kind of figures out and gets to the bottom of how to trap Amit in in the first place. So I think that that was a really really neat thing as well. The things that I didn't like were I thought that the way they brought Mark back was a little bit too convenient. That I you know maybe you don't want to drag that out because you know what's going to happen anyway. There's a school of thought that says that, but it just seems like. That was a little too easy, 
in a weird way, same thing with, with Steven as well. And then it, it seems like the, the, the battle between Kanchu and Amit was, was really cool. I do like the battle with, with, of course, you've got Mr. Knight and Moon Knight. And, of course, now you've got the Scarlet Scarab that we find out after the fact. You know, that the battle in the streets was pretty cool. It wasn't, wasn't like an epic battle. But I certainly enjoyed it. The 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 two, you know, Amit and and Kanchu, that was a really really neat battle. But once they got to that pinnacle point, one the, the how they dispatched of Amit again, I thought the the concept made sense to me, but it seemed like it happened too easily. You know what I mean? Like like there wasn't really a whole lot of fear there that this thing wasn't going to work out. So. Again, you give me the, you give me some good battle scenes, and then you kind of that's your big. I took care of the villain moment. I don't know. It just it, it didn't it didn't wow me the way I really wanted it to. Maybe that's a set of expectations that I just have gotten from Marvel and Marvel Studios projects in general that I, I expect that every time. I don't feel like I got it here. It wasn't bad per se. But it also wasn't one of those things where it's like, man, I'm going to remember this because I'm probably not. I might remember who the villain was, but I'm not going to remember how everything went down. But I think that maybe the, the thing that gets me is that there's always a character or characters that fans are clamoring for throughout the entire run of a show. And it was Jake Lockley in this case. And we finally get Jake Lockley, but it was at the very end. In the end credit scene, when you've got Conchu, he's in the limo. They get Haro out of the, out of the insane asylum, and there's Jake to finish the job that Mark wouldn't finish. That was the thing that Mark made the choice, not to kill Haro when he had the chance, and kill Amit in in the same, you know, in in the same manner that would have gotten rid of both of them, and Jake was the one that cleans it up. Now at one point we get you know we get a couple of teases before that. You know, Mark blacks out during the battle. All of a sudden, it looks like, you know, everybody's dead. And Layla kind of gives Mark the, hey, what the hell, man, sort of thing. And you wonder, okay, who that was. We know who that is. Then you hear somebody speak at one point when they're back in the therapist's office. And it's like, that wasn't Mark or Steven. And you figure, you know, it's got to be somebody else. But again, that was just a tease until that end credits. Here's the one thing that is going to just completely kill my either enjoyment or not enjoyment of this show. Because now this was supposed to be just these six episodes and that was it. That's what we were kind of, it wasn't completely confirmed. It was certainly implied. Now, if you don't continue this story, it's going to be weird. I'm sorry. You've gotten to the point now where you kind of have to continue the story in some capacity because you left it too wide open to just end it. The way it was. I don't know how you just leave it like that. So maybe we get another six episodes. Maybe we get like a movie treatment or something like that. That you can't just leave it the way it was. With Jake taking out Haro. And then talking about how Mark is so troubled. And and you know maybe, maybe the judgment's going to be coming for him next in a weird way. Who knows. But see now you can't leave it the way it was. Now, can you continue this without Mark Spector? I don't think you can. You certainly can't continue it without Jake Lockley, that's for sure. So what do you do? And I think you definitely bring Layla back 
and maybe a couple of the other characters, but where do you go from here if there is a second season? And maybe that's putting the cart before the horse, but I think that that's something that we legitimately need to start talking about now based on how this season one finale ended. Overall, I thought the series was pretty good. I thought there were you know some moments where the show did drag a little bit in the middle episodes. I thought actually episode four and five were better than six. That's just my opinion. I think they really hit their stride in four and five, and then you know you get six and it's over. So if this were as an eight episode series, I think that we could have gotten some really really interesting stuff. But maybe that actually would have dragged it out a little bit too long. But overall, I did enjoy Marvel's Moon Knight. Now I'm kind of hoping it does get a second season, and it seems like creatively anyway they want to lean in that direction. We'll see what direction that Marvel Studios wants to lean. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of the Moon Knight Season 1 or Series Finale. I guess we'll find out soon enough. Going to switch gears and talk about Star Trek. Going to give you my spoiler-free review of Strange New Worlds, the first episode. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Brandon Easton, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It feels like it's definitely time to boldly go. Star Trek Strange New Worlds has finally premiered on Paramount+. Plus. So let's give a, I'm uh, just spoiler-ish on this one since it was out on Thursday. I think I could do maybe some minor spoilers, but I don't want to really spoil a ton here. But of course, you know, you've got Anson Mount back as Captain Pike, but he's going through a little bit of trauma right now. He's going through maybe a little bit of PTSD. You can call it that. And he's in self-exile, which I think is interesting. And he seemingly has no interest in coming back to the Enterprise at all. Epic beard, by the way, Anson, if you're if you're listening. I, I got to say, that is a, a very good exile beard. And, and it, it was a shame to see it go, quite frankly. Obviously, you know he gets back on the Enterprise. That's not a spoiler. It's in the trailers. Don't at me on that one. But what's interesting is... Is that, and maybe this is the biggest spoiler I'm going to give you. His self exile ends because he gets word that number one, of course, played by Rebecca Romaine, has gone missing on a first contact mission. So he's like, okay, that's certainly enough to get me up and get me moving. He, he, he might be in exile, he might be having trauma, but you know, he's not just going to leave someone that he cares about stranded. So he agrees to return to the Enterprise. He interrupts a really big moment for Spock. And I, in more ways than one, let's just put it that way. But he does have a new number one on this mission too, which is quite interesting. And because she, she's very, she's very eccentric. She has good instincts. She seems to just fit in really well with the crew. We find out a little bit more about her as things go on later on in this episode. And and again, she just seems like a really good addition to the group and she brings a different energy. I guess is the best way to put it. It seems like she and Spock will get along really well, actually, if I'm being honest. And it's not really easy infiltrating the planet that they have to go to to try and put through this rescue mission. But it feels like, and I don't want to give away really too much beyond that. Obviously, you kind of know that this that this show is going to go on past this episode. So it's, you know, again, the, the drama's there, but it's not palpable enough. Because you know that this is just a jumping off point. But how you get from point A to point, e, point B is interesting. And some of the choices that get made. And, and how this episode really kind of brings Pike out 
or or breathes new life into him as a captain, I think is really the point of this episode. That and kind of getting the band back together is another good way to put it. Plus, we get you know a younger Lieutenant Ohura. Well, she's not a lieutenant right now, but you get we get a young Ohura in this, and and of course a young Captain Kirk is going to be joining the crew in in the upcoming episodes as well. So this is very much a starting point. But to me, I feel like this is the series that I've been waiting for of these new series. Not that I haven't liked Discovery or Picard or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. I've, I've enjoyed those too. But I've been waiting for this show that feels like Star Trek at its finest. And it just feels fun but familiar at the same time. It really has that sense of exploration to it instead of having this set story Kind of like it was almost like Discovery had this set storyline and it wasn't really based on this exploration, which is kind of how I sort of fell in love with Star Trek in the first place. The, the, the Star Trek Discovery started out with, OK, here's the crisis and here's what we need to do. Picard, uh, in certain respects, the same way. But this one feels like it's got more original series vibes to me and it's it just feels like a springboard for so many very fun adventures that are going to be coming. It's also interesting to see that to bring who is is going to be playing a role in this series. If you're a Star Trek fan, you know who to bring is being played by Gia Sandu and ultimately how that affects Spock. Again, this is a young Spock and we kind of know where his journey goes or do we? Right. And seeing how she plays a role in that and the, the push and pull of do I stay or do I go sort of thing, I think it's going to be one of the interesting subplots of this show. And we don't really know a ton of what the subplots are going to be other than, you know, Captain Pike and what he's gone through. We're going to need to buff that out at some point. You know how a young Kirk integrates into this crew. I think that that's something that's a, that's a nice side story. The dueling number ones, as it were, even though one of them is not number one anymore. You got Rebecca Romaine back as number one. So you've got the other number one that's relegated to a different role now. But there's, again, so many good side stories, I think, to this show. But then we've also got the open world concept. That's the best way I can describe it, to put it into video game terms. This show feels like more of an open world concept than it is, okay, here's the world that I that I'm being given and that I'm going to be living in for this entire season or this entire run of this show. It just seems like ever since that last season of Discovery and where that where things went with that, that's when things sort of opened up for this show. So this is the one that I've been waiting for, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I don't know if you feel the same way. Maybe it's because I'm a little older and I was more of a, a original series guy than a next generation guy. Maybe that has a little something to do with it. But I don't know. This this just feels like the one that I've really, really been waiting for. And I'm super excited that we've got Star Trek Strange New Worlds now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. That'll do it for my spoiler-ish review of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Up next, let's talk about a new Batman podcast on Spotify. Batman Unburied has premiered, and I'll give you a little bit of a review of that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is voice actor Roger Craig Smith, and you guys are listening, you lucky people, to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. And we're back. 
Apparently, it's not great when it's harvest season in Gotham. A brand new original series podcast from Spotify and DC. Batman Unburied just premiered this week. I wanted to give you a quick review of what's going on here. If you're not sure what the show is about, it's basically there's a serial killer named the Harvester that's kind of terrorizing Gotham City right now. But guess what? There's no Batman. And this is in the description of the series, so really not a spoiler here. Maybe I'll do a little bit of spoiler stuff. But Bruce Wayne has no memory of being Batman right now. He's a forensic pathologist, which is super, super interesting. He's performing autopsies. He's working on this Harvester case as a forensic pathologist. And yeah, pushing the boundaries of that for sure. But the biggest wow for me, because I went into this without reading the description first. So maybe this is a spoiler for you, for you if you haven't done that yet. Is that Thomas Wayne's alive and he's the head of Gotham City Hospital. His mother is alive as well. So when something happens to Bruce, his dad kind of orders him to take medical leave and seek some treatment. But do you think that Bruce is just going to sit there and not do anything? No. So here's the deal. This thing is dark. I mean, freaking dark and gruesome, even for an audio drama. And I, that's what I like to call these. I know that these are scripted podcasts. I like to call it more of an audio drama because I feel like that's what it is. This thing is freaking dark and really gets graphic and descriptive. And boy, I'll tell you, it paints a picture. If you want to really appreciate how a scripted podcast slash audio drama can be done and really immerse you, this one does it so incredibly well. And that is a testament to those who worked on this show. I mean, you know, anybody from Phantom Four and Wolf at the door and you've got David S. Goyer that's a part of this as well in the writing team. Boy, did they do a good job of just put placing you right in this world. And the voice acting is incredible. And this therapist that Bruce is seeing for for what happened to him, there's something up. There's something quite, not quite right about this therapist. And you can't quite pinpoint it. And I, it, it, there's there's a little bit of a familiar voice there, and I think I know who it might be. I don't want to spoil that. I want to see if you get the same opinion that I do. But something not quite right about this therapist, for sure. But And, and you see that Bruce has a, a little bit of a forensic pathologist assistant, a, a student that comes in, and maybe there's some, some chemistry there a little bit in a weird way. Barbara Gordon is a detective in this as well and she's certainly got her hands full there's another very interesting bat villain that is also a detective in this but we haven't really quite gotten there yet in this story but i gotta tell you winston duke as batman is absolutely incredible i mean he really does a great job in the role and and it's interesting to, to the, the the way that he presents this character as sort of this tortured cerebral type Bruce Wayne this this driven but not sure why he's so driven Bruce Wayne and then you've got these triggers that kind of tell you that there's something not quite right with his memories or something's been messed with with Bruce and who's behind it and why is a again subplot of this because we're worried about what's going on with the Harvester right now. And then you've got Lance Reddick as Thomas Wayne. And Lance Reddick is amazing anyway. But you pair him with Winston Duke. And this pairing 
is what's is one of the things that makes this work so so well for me. And then you've got Gina Rodriguez as Barbara Gordon, Jason Isaacs as Alfred, and so many other talented voices on this show that it doesn't take you long to hit the follow button on this one. Batman Unburied is what you're going to want to search for. It is a Spotify original, by the way, so you will only be able to find it on Spotify. New episodes drop every Wednesday. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of Batman Unburied. Definitely one that you're going to want to put on your list. Up next, going to talk about Constantine, the House of Mystery, the DC Showcase short. I'll deal with that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Matt Ryan from Constantine City of Demons, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Even if it's for the right reasons, you know time travel can have its consequences. We get to see that aftermath in Constantine, the House of Mystery, the brand new animated short from DC Showcase and Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. I want to get this out of the way right away, though. Warner Brothers Home Entertainment did provide me with a copy of this Blu-ray for review. All opinions are my own. And basically what you have here is it's not just Constantine House of Mystery. There's some other shorts that are attached to this as well, like Blue Beetle, Commandy, and a few others. I'm not going to talk about those because those have already been released in previous releases. So let's just stick to Constantine, the House of Mystery. You know I'm a Constantine fan, so I was really looking forward to this. And what this does is this kind of deals with the aftermath of Justice League Dark Apocalypse War and how epic that was. And you know there was a lot of loss there. And that was a really, really difficult battle. And mentally, those that survived just weren't the same. So John Constantine says, all right, I'm going to try and do the right thing. I'm going to talk to the Flash. We're going to flashpoint this whole thing. And it's never going to have happened, and and it just and it won't wear on these on these poor souls anymore. Well, guess what? There were consequences to that, and it was the Spectre who decides to banish Constantine to the House of Mystery for all eternity. Or you know, was that a punishment, or maybe it wasn't a punishment? And I, I am going to have some spoilers in this review. I want to make sure that I point that out right away here. But here's the deal: what we basically have here is Constantine over and over again is living through basically being killed by those that are closest to him, whether it be Zatanna, whether it be Etrigan, or whether it be his own kids. By the way, he has kids in this, which is kind of weird in a way that they turn into demons and they end up killing him sort of thing. So, And these aren't nightmares. This is stuff that's actually happening to him in this, in this sort of a death loop, for lack of a better way of putting it. But, of course, in classic... John Constantine fashion. He tries to find a way out of it. And I mean, I guess kind of does in a certain way, depending on how you look at it. But here's the problem that I had with this ultimately is that you know going in that this is a short. And we get about 25 ish minutes, I think it was, from this short. But here's the problem it's so open ended the way that, that it concludes that. If you don't give me any more, I'm not sure what the point was. And 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 I say that with all due respect because there was nothing wrong with the way the story was told. It's just fragmented. This feels like the first piece of something that should go on longer. And I don't know if we're going to get that chance. Of course, you, if you want to keep giving me Matt Ryan as John Constantine, I'm going to take it all day long, and I don't care how long the story is. So I, I get that part of it. But at the same time, you're, you're, either, you're either doing this to do it 
and this is where it's going to end, or you're doing this because, okay, we know we've got more of this that we're going to be able to tell at some point. Here's where we're going to leave this part, and then we'll pick it up a little bit later on down the line. I don't know that we have assurances that that's actually going to happen. So that's a little bit of a worry for me. So if that doesn't happen, then I will judge this short a lot differently than I would have if we do get some sort of a continuation on this. I also wasn't really a huge fan of the animation style for this. Maybe that's because it's kind of not a fair comparison because you get some of the animation from Justice League Dark Apocalypse War in this as well, and then they kind of switch it up a little bit. And the, the animation was just so good in that previous movie that once you fast forward to this and it's changed a little bit, it just wasn't quite up to that same level for me. And maybe that's unfair because there was nothing really wrong with the way this was animated. There were certainly good scenes that were done. It just wasn't as, there wasn't as much pop as I've remembered in previous iterations of this. And, and, and again, maybe that's not fair of me to judge it that way, but that's really how I saw this one. Nothing wrong with this again at all if we get more. But if we don't get more, then it's like, okay, well, I appreciate you giving me more Constantine stuff, but you can't just leave it open-ended like that. It, you know, that's kind of how I felt when they when they first did these CW Seed shorts where they had, for Constantine was one of those, and then we had Deathstroke as well where it was open-ended. They eventually ended up closing closing those stories out in movie form, so I hope we get some sort of closure to this as well at some point. So that Constantine, the House of John Constantine, the House of Mystery, now available on Blu-ray and DVD from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. You get the other shorts attached to that as well. And we'll just have to see where this story ends up going. That's gonna do it for my spoiler-ish review of Constantine the House of Mystery. Up next, how about we talk to AF Stedman? She's a brand new author talking about her brand new book, Skandar and the Unicorn Thief, and I think you're going to be pretty interested in it. Find out more next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Vita Ayala, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's a book I definitely want you to get on your radar. It's Skandar and the Unicorn Thief, and this is definitely not the story that you might be expecting, and this is a name that you're going to get to know really, really well here soon. It's A.F. Stedman. How you doing? I'm doing so well, and it's, it's published today. I'm so excited. I know. This has got to be an exciting time. One, one minute you're studying law at Cambridge. Now people are calling you the next J.K. Rowling. What's this journey been like for you? I mean, it does. It still doesn't feel at all real, I have to say. You know, I, I have to, sometimes I wake up in the night and I check my phone just to, just to make sure it's really real. But yeah, I, I've always wanted to be a writer from when I was 14, I suppose. I wrote my first book in some notebooks. So it's, it's been been a long journey getting here, but I, I can't really believe it. I feel so lucky. So I just gave my daughter her little unicorn toy, and I don't know if now I need to keep one eye on it at all times or what's going on after reading <laughs> this book. So when you say the word unicorn, most people have this same picture in their head, right? So what made you want to change that up in this story and conjure up some brand new images? I've never really liked the fluffy, friendly kind of unicorn, I have to say. I was more of a dragon phoenix scarier kind of creature kind of person and so I think I had this image in my mind of a boy riding this unicorn that was the idea that's where it started kind of eight years ago and I just remember thinking 
it just doesn't look like it belongs in a fairy tale. It looks looks like it belongs in a nightmare. So I, I kind of played with that. And then it was about the time that all of the kind of like unicorn backpacks and, you know, pencil cases, all that kind of thing was starting to happen. And, and I just think I, I've always been suspicious of unicorns because I just don't think they look that friendly. They, they've got this big weapon on their heads. They've got a horn. Why, why have they got this image? And I wanted to make them cooler. I wanted to make them more magical and more ferocious. I'm putting that on a shirt right now. I've always been suspicious of unicorns. I'm, I'm, putting, I'm putting that <laughs> on a shirt. I think that needs to be on a shirt somewhere or something like that, maybe a bumper <laughs> stick or something, if people still do that. So as I was diving into this story, I definitely felt like Skandar, you know, felt like an underdog, certainly someone a lot of kids can relate to. How would you describe Skandar? So I think Skandar is the kind of boy who... In a class, you you might just not notice him. He's not very outgoing. He's a bit shy and he's not he's not very brave, but he does have this kind of inner strength. So he's afraid, but he kind of gets over that and he he does the right thing. He's got he's got a good moral compass. And he's also got a sense of adventure and fun. And he is so desperate to become a unicorn rider. And, and he wants to fulfill that dream or whatever happens. So I feel like family is a big part of this story, too, at least in the early going anyway. How much can you tell us about that family dynamic and how important it is to shaping Skandar's story in the future, in the uh, later stages of the book? So Skandar lives with his dad and his sister, Kenna, who is a year older than him. And Skandar's dad, kind of, he struggles with his mental health. His mum died when he was very young. So Skandar and Kenna, his sister, they, they kind of look after their dad a little bit when he's not so well. And, I, and that's kind of, that feeds into Skandar being bullied at school a little bit because the other children don't understand. And his, sis, his relationship with his sister is really important to him. But she really wanted to become a unicorn rider as well because becoming a unicorn rider is something, it's, it's very much prized. It's like becoming a celebrity suddenly because if you go and train on the island, you might be in the Chaos Cup, which is the most famous unicorn race in the world, which is televised. So you become this kind of celebrity and you get a rider's allowance if your if your child goes to the island as well and and Skandar's family struggle for money as well but really it's for Kenna and Skandar it's this dream that they want they want to escape their lives and Kenna does not pass the exam that you need to to become a unicorn rider and find your destined unicorn and so she's really struggling with that at the same time as Skandar is still holding on to the dream when the book starts so it really, that dynamic really plays into the beginning and kind of his sister being happy for him, but but not really wanting him to him to leave. It's such an interesting dynamic too. Wait till you guys dive into that. I love that, and here's, here's something that not a lot of authors do, and I love that you did this. I love that you included a map at the beginning of this book because it really gave me a sense of the world that you were building here. How important was that to you to include that? And is it, do you feel like that, that's a bit of a springboard to kind of immerse yourself into the story? Yeah, I, it was really important to me. I, I love books with maps. And I think it's a way to orientate yourself, particularly when the world is a little bit unfamiliar. And, you know, I hope that when people are reading the story, they can go back and look at it at the, be at the beginning of the book and think, oh, yeah, that's where we are now. That's what we can see. And I think it's just I didn't want to give too many visual clues. I, I didn't want to have illustrations or anything like that because I thought it was important for people to imagine it for themselves. But in terms of the kind of geography of the island and the layout, I think it helps make it feel real because I love worlds where you feel like it could actually exist. Like tomorrow they announce that unicorns are real and deadly and they live off an, on an island off the coast. And by the way, you're sending your 13 year olds there. I wanted that to feel possible. 
And so I think a map does really help with that. Yeah, you just get the regular map view. You don't get the the Google Street view. You just get the regular map, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. We don't want to give everything away here. <laughs> Talking to author A.F. Stedman yeah. of Skandar and the Unicorn Thief, which, of course, is available now wherever books are sold. Now, we're not just talking about unicorns here, though. You also have aspects of elemental magic in the story as well. Obviously, we've seen elemental magic in stories before. So how do you approach finding a unique way to present that in your story? Yeah, so I think when I was building the world, I wanted the unicorns to be the the beings that were powerful and were kind of made of this elemental magic. I didn't want the humans in the story just to be able to do just magic. Like the way you access it is through through the unicorns that live on this island where you have four fault lines, which are elemental. So a fire line, an earth line, an air line, a water line, and, and all of the magic, I wanted it to come back to that. So it almost feels organic to the island. And then the unicorns kind of belong to the island as well. And they're because if if a unicorn is not hatched by a rider, it's a wild unicorn and it's it lives forever. Um, and so it is it is really part of that island. Um, and I thought a way to make it different was the, the unicorn and the rider, they learn together how to harness their elemental power. And I also wanted I didn't just want fire magic unicorns or water magic they they can do all the different kinds of elements elemental magic um, but they kind of have one which they're best at which i felt like reflected real life a bit better <laughs> we're better at some things than others no doubt and i love that you did that too making it so they could do all of it not just one thing i thought that was a really really smart decision and a really Thank cool you. part of the book i feel like though chapter three that's the one where i go okay well now i can't stop I've got to read this whole thing now <laughs> because that's where you got me for sure. Are there any other chapters, of course, no spoilers or anything that you really are excited about? Like, oh, once you get here, look out because this is going to be a big one. Yeah, I think there's so there's oh, what chapter? I think it's chapter eight It's when they arrive at the rider training school. And it's the moment where you see where they're going to live and train for the first time. And I'm not going to describe it in too much detail, but there, there are tree houses, serious tree houses. Um, not made of wood, but kind of more armored trees and metal. And you get more of a sense of the kind of danger of the world. But also that's the moment where they find out which element they're going to be allied to as well. So it's it's an important moment for all the characters, but especially for Skandar. And quickly, before I let you go, we already know that this is the first book in a series. We've got the movie deal coming up too. How excited are you for the future of Skandar's story? And give us a tease of what's coming. I'm so excited. So I've, I've finished the second book and you can expect a lot of more kind of epic adventure. Um, they, in the second year of their training, they um, learn how to create elemental weapons. So you've got kind of lightning spears and flaming bows and things like that. And I'm also really excited about the film because I've read the first draft of the script now and it is fantastic. So I'm I'm very excited. And that is why you need to get in on this story now. So you're already familiar with it. Skandar and the Unicorn Thief is now available in bookstores and digitally, too, by the way, from Simon and Schuster. A.F. Stedman, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for talking to me. And I think this book really will catch you by surprise. It's a very different story, not just about unicorns but about magic and grabbing some elements from a whole bunch of different stories that I'm sure that she was influenced by over the years. This is one I think you're really going to dig, Skandar and the Unicorn Thief, which is now available wherever books are sold and at digital retailers, too, from Simon & Schuster.
That's actually going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. No really good nerd news this week, so a bunch of good reviews. We'll just end it there in a couple of interviews. Thanks to my guests for joining me this week. You can always find out more about our show at downandnerdypodcast.com. Follow along on social media as well at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram, at downandnerdy on Facebook, and make sure you're subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.